All right, folks, this show is sponsored by Anchor. A while back, we switched over to Anchor as our hosting platform for Panel to Panel. And to be honest, it's actually been one of the best experiences we've had when it comes to hosting our podcast. A lot of people think making a podcast is super difficult, but Anchor actually allows you to record and edit your podcast all on your phone if that's what you want to do. Anchor even helps you get your podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other places like that. That way you can get your podcast to a wide audience of different people. And the best part about it, it's totally free. So go ahead, check out Anchor.fm, or download the Anchor app on your phone or through the App Store or the Google Play Store and check it out today. Now let's turn the page and get to this week's episode of Panel to Panel. What's up, motherfuckers in the internet? Welcome to Panel to Panel, podcast where we bullshit about nerd things, gay things, black things, whatever things we feel like bullshitting about. Uh, normally, we have James here hosting the show, but he is not here tonight. Today is a special day where we get to talk about Arcane. And for those of you that have only watched the Netflix show, what's that like? Um <laughs> Mary and I are here because we're sweaty neckbeards who play League of Legends and also simp for the characters in Arcane, and that is definitely in part what we're here to do today. How you doing, Mary? I'm good. I'm good. I, I feel, I, I do feel envious of, of, you know, people whose only introduction to League is Arcane because, like, they're so sweet and pure of heart, like. <laughs> they're so innocent. They're, they're so innocent. They haven't seen the memes that come from this bit of lore, the dark parts of the lore. <laughs> Let me just say, that is not meant to be condescending at all. There, there's so much, like, culture bullshit from the fandom for League. So, for, for anyone who doesn't know, because either you haven't played League or you're just not interested in League, League is like a deep-cut PC game that is the sweatiest community I've ever had the displeasure of being a part of. And contributing to. <laughs> what I like to do is I had a couple friends reach out to me after they watched Arcane and they're like, like, you know, look, we know this is based on a video game, but starting with League of Legends itself is kind of intimidating. And what I like to recommend is that if you loved Arcane and you're curious about League, because there is a legion, dozens more characters. And, you know, regions, because you've got Noxus, you've got Demacia, Ionia. So you've got a a much larger world and i like to kind of direct people to legends of runeterra which is a league adjacent game you can get it on um steam epic things like that but they also have a mobile app too and it's it's the same game and it's it's a little card game actually it's um i think actually a bulk of league lore actually comes from legends of runeterra because it gives it gives you it gives them the room to expand the lore. Right. And some of it some of the previous established lore from early League of Legends has also been rewritten because yeah. of Legends of Runeterra. 
yeah. I think it gives you a chance because uh, when you pick a new champion, um, you get a little uh, um, guided quest line with that one champion. And there are, you know, voiceovers and things like that. So you get to interact with the characters a bit. So I think it's a really good introduction of these characters. Because of Arcane, there is a larger focus on Piltover and Zaun right now, but that's just, you know, leaning into the promotional tool. So I think if you're interested in exploring the League lore, oh, that's hard to say. I would definitely start with Legends of Runeterra. It is free to play. There are paid options, but I am notoriously uh, tight with my wallet. And I have been able to have a blast without spending a dime. Shoot, I might try it out because I do need some more League lore, especially for the characters I like. Because I'm hoping that they do some arcane stuff for Ionia because that's where all my peoples are. I'm going to hang on. I'm getting an image of my mind. Uh, Shen, right? No. No. Oh. No. I guess close. Since we're talking lore today, Akali. Oh. Yes, I. I am. I am trash. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and here's something for Legends of Runeterra. If you're not playing like uh, the specific character missions you can actually build your own decks too you can only have cards from two regions but you know like there's full deck customization things like that it, it is it's a great time hmm, i might have to give that a shot i've been craving some riot stuff but i i admit it's hard to pick up league because i know what happens it's it's I want to play this game. I don't want to play this game. And then I start playing the game and then I bought 17 skins and then I'm four months later and I've played no other games. None. (laughs) I love it. I love it. So Arcane sets us in in, uh, the world of League of Legends, the the physical world, uh, in Zaun and Piltover, which are in the the same spot, separated by elevation and class. Lost and all that being synonymous with each other. Um, If we wanted to describe it politely, they're quote-unquote twin cities. It is. Oh, God. Arcane (laughs) is a bit of a tale of two cities, isn't it? Oh, my. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, no, that's. Yeah. Dickens references. We got those, too. Happy 420, everybody. (laughs) Honestly, this show is so much deeper um then it presents like and we'll we'll oh, talk about we'll talk about the story uh and especially my god the animation the animation but, is it's so good like i got victoria got sucked into watching arcane with me like, I, and, I got my mother interested in league of legends oh no <laughs> why would you do that <laughs> See, well, because okay, so she she has no interest in playing the game, but because of the show, it's now become a periodic thing where every now and again, we'll I'll go over there for dinner, and she'll be like, "Hey, why don't you bring your computer and play some League of Legends?" And I'm like, "Yeah, what? All right, yeah, I'm gonna do that." (laughs) Well, it's cute that she, because I assume she watches you play. Yeah, she'll come in and be like, "Oh, what's going on?" And you know, it's it's pretty cool. I I dig it. I dig it. And then this show was like. 
what's going on over here? That's where she really got hooked because the show is just so beautifully done through okay. both the writing and the characterization and everything. Oh, yeah. So let's start with a bit uh, a fun question. When you heard Netflix was doing a League of Legends show, what was your initial reaction? I, I'm not going to lie. At first, I cringed. And that's because Netflix has done me wrong as an anime fan a lot. A Same. lot. When I heard <laughs> they were like, I actually missed all of Act 1 upon initial release just because I'm like, no, I can't do this. Like, yeah, the, the League lore is fun, but I don't trust Netflix not to screw this up. So I'm just going to avoid. And then... Right. And, you know, I saw that the response and people are like, oh my god, this is incredible. I'm like, we're talking about League, right? And this show made me eat all of every word that I said. That's pretty funny. <laughs> See, what, I, I, what made me give it the college try when it came out was I was like, you know what? It is Netflix, but Riot is directly involved. And Riot yeah. has funding funding and oh, the animation yeah. can attest to that like and this they is, have the money and the animation studio from everything i understand is a very small french studio and they are out here all oh, just oh my god because one thing victoria said and i feel like this really speaks to it a lot she said that obviously you are consciously aware of the fact that it's animation but the expressions and body language are so intense that you kind of actually forget that these aren't people. Like, it, yeah. I guess it's a little difficult to explain, but I feel like she put it really well that, you know, when you're watching the show, you can't, like, the facial expressions, they are just so in-depth. And I think the subtlety of certain move, you know, uh, body movements or facial twitches like that can get lost in animation very easily but this this style is so lifelike that it, it's just mind-boggling yeah it's pretty incredible honestly and I, in, in my personal opinion i because again like i said i'm a jinx simp in this entire show i think you see it the most in her oh yeah like her, but her. That's probably intentional. <laughs> yeah. But so, why don't we discuss a bit of Arcane's general story? Um, when it upon release, it was initially released in three three episode acts. So each act had three episodes apiece, and there are time skips between Act One and Act Two, and then Act Three picks up immediately after Act Two. So you could like. I felt like those didn't need to be two separate arcs, but whatever. And Travis, would you like to take us through Act One? Okay, so essentially, this this series centers around Vi and Jinx, but Jinx is at the time is known as Powder. Okay, they are Zonian citizens doing their thing, and was it uh oh, I forget what the pushback was 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 it the revolution was the, they, yeah the rebellion was actively happening okay so yeah, Zon because... was rebelling against Piltover mm -hmm. and their parents Vianjix's parents were killed by by Piltover and enforcers 
They were then adopted by the leader of said revolution, now failed revolution, Vander, who's become a community figurehead and a bartender in the undercity that is Zahn. Yes. And just as a bit of clarification, um, Zahn at this point is still, um, they refer to it as the undercity. So it is part of Piltover. It's just where fancy as fuck Piltover gets to dump their industrial waste and shit on the underclass. And the revolution, New Jersey, New York thing. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, the citizens of Zahn are routinely fighting for their independence until um, the beginning of Act One, like Travis was just talking about, with the fact that it kind of failed spectacularly. And the enforcers, which are Piltover's police force, went in and very brutally shut it down. And by brutally shut it down, I mean just killed a bunch of people, like in cold blood. And this kind of sets the tone for Ooh, the whole yeah. show, for, for the world that we're in and the whole show. And so we're, we're set in Jinx and Vi with their adopted siblings, Milo and Clagger, getting, getting uh, a tip from their friend Echo. Who everyone knows Echo. This is way before any of his time tech Echo. He's just and, a little baby. Right. <laughs> and so they decide to go to... Uh, what was it? A penthouse in Piltover mm-hmm. to rob some magic crystals. Uh, <laughs> and Powder accidentally shatters one. And being that these are magic crystals of you know fictional power, the penthouse blows up and a large portion of the building is destroyed. And of course, enforcers know now exactly where they are. And there's, of course, a chase, but our heroes get away. So they come back to Vander. Uh, and Vander is like, what in the hell have you done? This is, you all have done too much. And if I remember correctly, it doesn't even put them in hiding, like, right away. Yeah, because, um, you know, stealing from a flat in, in Piltover is bad. Exploding the building is really bad. But the kind of tipping point is that we are introduced to Sheriff Grayson. Who, oh my god, I love her and she got done dirty. If you are, like, addicted to heartbreak and angst, the show is perfect. Oh, yeah. But the big problem is, is that the flat that got exploded, and I'm assuming the whole building and everything in it, is owned by one of Piltover's oldest and richest families. Like, probably, I, I would argue that they are probably the richest family in Piltover, and the, that family is the Kiramans, uh, which ends up being a little fun later on and i'm hoping that everybody puts together that it was vi that bust into the apartment in act one but that family name if you're familiar with league you obviously know where this is going but you know what we'll say the name one more time Kiraman. Kiraman. see i'm not that into league lore <laughs> it, it's caitlin's last name oh yeah caitlin's family owns um, I'm assuming they own the building, but they've also been funding Jace. Oh, that's right. They were funding Jace. Mm-hmm. And Mrs. Kiraman, who uh, we found out through one of the writers on Twitter and whatnot, is uh, her name is Cassandra. Caitlin's parents are Cassandra and Tobias, and Cassandra is a, uh, a councilwoman for the city of Piltover, so she's one of the head bitches in charge. And a funny bit, I've 
I follow Amanda Overton on Twitter, and she's one of the writers for Arcane, and she drops little tidbits to keep the fans going. And Travis, I, you might uh, get a kick out of this. The Kira name is matrilineal. So Caitlin's dad took um, his wife's last name. That's pretty dope. Mm-hmm. So I just think it's festive. So that means Caitlin carries the family name. Yes. That's the shit. Okay, I love that. Dude, okay. <laughs> Sorry, I think people can, I think people can tell that when I do play Link, I main as Caitlyn because I'm kind yeah, of definitely. I'm kind of, I'm kind of a hardcore Caitlyn simp. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she's quite the cupcake, so it's fine. Oh yeah. Um, okay, so the way after the kids are shoved away and locked away, uh, we're led to. Now we're introduced to Silco and Deckard, which Deckard is pretty obviously singed um, for all those league players who maybe haven't seen the show. But they're experimenting with this substance called Shimmer. And they drop it on a rat, and the rat mutates all crazy. Now cut to into uh, Piltover. Now we're talking about Jace, who's like this young roundabout... I eyes brighter to be I'm gonna change the world with my science type of guy uh, oh that's what I was getting at. okay I'm sorry and it was so Jace was the one who created the magic crystals because mm-hmm, they're the hex tech. <laughs> the ones that because they're the, the hex tech the beginning of the hex tech and he's called to the council for illegally experimenting with magic and the result of that magic being the explosion that was caused by the heist. Um, Jace straight up defends magic. Now, there was... Mary might be able to fill us in because she's our general lore historian on what happened in Piltover to make them so afraid of magic. Uh, basically, and they touch on it a bit in Arcane, and we see it a lot in League and Runeterra. Runeterra is actually the name of the continent that all the countries are on. Is that there were gigantic mage wars where magic killed a gajillion people. And even in non-Piltoverans on areas like um, Demacia, which is a kind of medieval-style kingdom, that magic is very, very very frowned upon and practitioners are separated um lux crown guard being probably i'd say the preeminent magic user in demacia yeah but but she uses her magic in service to the crown so that's kind of like she kind of gets a pass for being a little fancy but um so piltover was sort of established to kind of get away from magic in the um I believe one of the counselors in Arcane says, you know, to escape the fighting of mages. And Piltover is stylistically a kind of hyper-steampunk society. That, you know, it's steam-powered cogs, like that, just the cool side of steampunk aesthetics, not like, you know, the super rude people who wander around conventions and take up 14 tables. It's just, you know. Right, but it's it's like almost like steampunk crossbred with like a... uh how do I put it? Like an industrial cyberpunk, like a construction yeah. site cyberpunk. <laughs> and 
in that sense. And I think just even the stylistic differences between Piltover and Zahn, like, I think it further um, uh, demonstrates how they are two sides of the same coin. That, you know, you have the shiny, fancy Victorian aesthetic, uh, steampunk aesthetic in Piltover, and you kind of got, like what Travis said, kind of that industrial uh, steampunk aesthetic in Zahn. Yeah, Zahn was unique. <laughs> oh, yeah. It looked like Borderlands. <laughs> That's the best way that I can put it. Perfect. Uh, okay, so Jace uh, is basically sentenced to be expelled from the Academy for endangering the city, and his research is going to be destroyed. Um, except Q Victor, who is like, no, 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 no. You're on to something here, and I have the know-how to bring this to life. I can, I can see your vision coming true kind of thing. Uh, Victor's significance is that he is the assistant to Professor Heimerdinger, who is basically head of the council in, in Piltover. So he has access to all these resources to do everything they need to figure this out. Mm-hmm. Um, from that, they went back to Zahn, and we see Grayson pressuring Vander to be like, hey, who broke into this place and blew it up? And it's come to a head to where if Vander doesn't serve somebody up, the police are going to do what the police do, and they're going to smash the fucking place in and beat everybody's asses and arrest whoever they want, regardless of charges. Mm-hmm. Um, and doing so, that... Oh. Oh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, and doing that would upset the very fragile ceasefire between the what is you know Zon, which is currently still the Undercity, and uh, what they refer to as Topside or Fancy Piltover, because Grayson essentially made a deal with Vander, saying, "Look, we both know what happened years ago was super fucked." Grayson is, you know, I don't think she was in charge in that because I cannot see Grayson, at least the Grayson that we are introduced to. I cannot see her ordering them to use live ammunition. You know, right. But, um, basically, if Vander could keep the Undercity in check, he was the de facto leader at the time, like Travis mentioned earlier. If he could keep it in check, Grayson would keep the Enforcers out of the Undercity. But when, you know, they stole from the Kierman family, who funded all of this, and, you know, since Jace's little Hextech crystals are dangerously unstable, that's what causes the explosion, is because of how unstable stable these are and he had like just a fucking fistful of them sitting around in the open oh yeah (laughs) blew up half of his motherfucking research (laughs) and and powder ate his damn sandwich that could happen that is the real crime is that powder finds a sandwich sitting around and she's like ooh I'm hungry hey people gotta eat (laughs) Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay, so now we're getting towards the end of the, the first act to where now we're starting to... Oh, what was it after the, is during, after the shakedown? Hold on, let me make my notes. Please cut this out, James. I hope you understand where to cut things out. I know you do. You've been doing this well the whole time. I'm just nervous. Uh, okay, so obviously Vander is not giving up his children he's adopted them he's a good parent 
no, it's not happening. Um, although Vi, being a teenager, doesn't agree with how he's handling the situation and thinks that it needs to be, she needs to turn herself in. Exactly that. She needs to turn herself in. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, it's actually, it's a very moving scene of self-sacrifice because she realizes that they did done fucked up, as my dad used to say. And right. we see a genuine, because she's the, at one point, she gets hauled aside by Vander. And, like, I get that he's trying to get Vi to accept responsibility, but it honestly sounds like a guilt trip. Because it's very clear that Vander is, he is molding Vi to be the next leader of the Undercity. Like, it's very clear she is, you know, not only his adopted daughter, but she's his protege. And so she is the de facto older sister of the four adopted children, as well as Powder's biological older sister. And uh, so we see the fact that she has essentially been older sister um, mother to Powder. Like, she's all Powder has left. And a scene that I think is very interesting is that Jinx is blaming, uh, Powder, excuse me, is blaming herself for what's going on. And, you know, Milo, one of the older brothers, basically says, you know, hey, you're a Jinx, this is your fault. Yep. And Blame the whole thing going bad on her. And in a really sweet moment, um, because they end up losing what they did steal through a series of shenanigans, and Powder remembers that she has these, you know, little, little... uh, magic crystals in her pocket and she shows them to Vi and she's like hey should we show it to them and Vi immediately says no and Powder has a very hurt expression on her face and I think it's really um, indicative of just how much um, Powder looks to Vi for everything and Vi immediately follows up with kind of like bumping her shoulder and getting really close saying it can be you know our secret right now and powder visibly perks up because she has a secret with her big sister you know yep and once vi pieces together that in order to keep the peace and to keep powder safe she's gonna turn herself in so grayson gave vander this little message tube to send back to him when he decided to turn somebody over and um she has one last moment with Powder where she just kind of like, you know, gently caresses her face. And it is just, it is so sweet and so sad. And she's sitting, waiting for the enforcers, and Vander's like, no. No, 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 no. This ain't happening. But and that went wrong. <laughs> because Grayson, Grayson shows up to collect him. Uh, to collect Vi, and Vander's like, oh, hey, guess what? Those four teenagers, that's still a bunch of shit. That was totally me. Like a seven-foot, you know, 280-pound pure muscle grown-ass man. That was totally me. And Grayson's like, dude, the fuck? And he's like, look, these are my kids. I'm not. No. Fuck you. (laughs) Pretty much. Um, And then, I, I forget the exact exchange, but Vander ends up in Silco's hands. Because they bust in and they kill Grayson. That was it. And then, um, also in the background before that, Silco had convinced Deckard to straight up drink Shimmer. (laughs) After they saw what it did to the rat. And it's because Marcus, who is Grayson's second-in-command, 
ends up selling them out because he wants to crush the Undercity. And he doesn't like Grayson wanting to work with them. And Grayson, at one point, she pleads with the council and she's like, we have pushed them enough. She's like, if we try to go in and do this now, shit is gonna go sideways. And the council's like, meh. Do it anyway. And something I, something I want to stop and point out is that a lot of these characters that we've mentioned are not actually in either of the games. So Arcane introduces a bunch of characters and they flow seamlessly. Grayson, Vander, uh, Silgo, they're not um, in the game lore. So I just think it's, it's, I think it's a lot of fun that, you know, they can create original characters and weave them in seamlessly. Right. Silco was actually, he's, he was originally in Arcane, but now he's in um, Team Fight Tactics. Nice. Yeah, he's yeah. in Team Fight Tactics. Uh, okay, so now, Vander being in Silco's hands, <clears throat> there's a lot of history here that they kind of vaguely touch on. You know that they are very, very close, and they fought together during the Rebellion, but sometime in between Vander adopting children <laughs> and Silco becoming a crime lord, they separated. Completely. Well, it's because and... Vander, Vander tries to fucking kill him. Oh, yeah. He tried to choke him underwater. Sorry about that. I forgot about that. Vander no, you're tried not. to choke his ass out. Like, <laughs> I forgot about that. My general theory is that it was basically when he became disillusioned and may have made a deal with Grayson. Now, granted, that's purely conjecture on my part, but I'm wondering if he felt that in order to keep the peace and stop people from dying, he had to take out his um, more revolutionary counterpart. And at one point, Vander even says, like, we were brothers. Like, I'm, I'm sorry. Like, just, uh, it hurts. It hurts. Well, and of course, kids who are doing heists, and kids who are robbing the aristocracy of their their experimental technology are certainly going to go after their dad, <laughs> who was held by a crime lord. And that's pretty much what they suit up to do, because they're all everyone's very emotionally affected right now. And oh yeah. What's going on? Is everyone's trying to save their dad, and Powder, of course, wants to go, but because she's a quote unquote jinx. Now Vi tells her, no, you're not going. And, you know, Powder is also like a literal child. A literal eight-year-old child. <laughs> and the rest Which of them are, like, they're teenagers. It is still equally um, ill-advised for them to go. But Vi's like, like, you know, like, look, Powder, I trust you and I love you, but you're like eight, so maybe not. And I think th that's right. kind of... And that's a bit of a brilliant scene because that's where we really get our first good look at Powder slash Jinx's mental state. Because she freaks yeah. the hell out and she starts like hitting the side of her head, having, you know, not a temper tantrum. I, mean, I don't want to add that kind of a thing, but I would say a mental breakdown. Because she, like I said before, she looks to Vi for everything. And Vi's rejection is her biggest fear because Vi is all she has and that ends up becoming a big problem later 
Yeah, we'll get to that. Um, <laughs> so essentially, these these three, Clagger, uh, Milo, and Vi, go to rescue um, Vander, but Powder and Echo also stay back just because they're both absolute children at the time. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> also, background stuff, Jason and Victor are working the crystals. Um, yeah. And one of the counselors is co-signing it, right? I believe it was Mel, Mad- Mel-, Mel Madarda. Oh my god. The best original addition to this fucking show. Yes. Like, if you're a Dragon yeah. Age if you're a super Dragon Age fan like I am, uh, she is voiced by the same actress who did Vivian in Inquisition. So she is just this tall, absolutely gorgeous stateswoman. Like, she, she is a politician through and through. Not necessarily, like, a politician in sense of, like, general corruption and evilness, but, like, if you want to, you know, conservatives like to talk about, you know, oh, gener- like, statesmen who hail back to Rome and whatnot she has that you know that air around her and you know uh, the madarda name is not unfamiliar to, to league fans because in legends of runeterra you have jay madarda is one of the cards you can use so like i think it's a bit of a nod and a wink to that but she is just she's brilliant she's the wealthiest single individual in piltover she's originally from noxus and that will I imagine will come into larger play in season two, and she's just magical and perfect. And I, uh, she she stand metal out here. <laughs> With the ending scene of season one, she better not. You know, yeah, I will be pissed. Uh, uh, I mean, I'm not gonna be. I'm not. I'm not gonna sugarcoat it for you, Mary. The show hasn't no. been exactly happy. <laughs> no, I know, I know, and she's sitting right in front of the window. But she's, she sees the potential in what Jace has to do. There is always a deeper meaning with Mel. And that actually ends up culminating at the height of her character arc in the very end. Because, you know, she, Noxus is a very militaristic society. And, you know, her family is very deep in that same conquest and power. And Mel controls every facet of everything around her to cultivate that power for herself. Yep. And so she, without warfare, at least. Without warfare. Because, you know, even as a child, we get a brief flashback back to her as a child. She wants to be merciful. So it's not power for a... Pre- I think, honestly, I think it's power just for power's sake. Like, this is what she knows how to do. This is what she's good at. Like, so, but she sees the potential because she doesn't share Piltover's aversion to magic. So she sees the potential in what Jason Victor are trying to do. So she's like, okay, keep it on the DL and let's fucking go, dude. Like, right. We're going to get to the space age tomorrow with this. <laughs> um, okay. So back, back to the undercity where we're <clears throat> rescuing Vander. The kids, it's, it's Clagger, Milo and Vi are going to rescue Vander um, they actually are doing pretty well. They get in there. I believe Vibe beats the shit out of Silco's goons. Because she's got um, Fander's cast iron gauntlets. Yes, beats the shit out of them. Uh, but runs into 
Deckard. <laughs> um, Who is all shimmer infused and gross looking. Yeah. And he easily, very easily overpowers her. And if anyone was as excited as I was to kind of see what he looked like with his purple glow, abnormal muscles, and super strength, please give me Dr. Mundo <laughs> sometime. <laughs> it doesn't have to be Deckard. It could be anybody. <laughs> but I need it to happen. Um... I hope I'm not interrupting too much. <laughs> no, 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 you're you're fine. Okay, so as as Vi is kind of getting her ass kicked by mutated Deckard, Powder, completely disobeying her sister's orders, shows up with the monkey bomb that she'd been trying to make the whole time with the crystals from the from this the beginning of the act. Uh the monkey bomb <laughs> is a little is one of the, the, the symbol monkeys that just... But it's spikes and one of the magic crystals. And they, <laughs> it's rigged in a certain way that the symbols will hit the little crystal. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so it ends up waltzing its way in right at the time that, they're, that Clagger and Milo have saved Vander. Um, Vi is in serious fucking trouble at this point. Mm -hmm. uh, she's getting her ass whooped on and the the rocks do what they did in the beginning and they blow the fuck up and yeah. Jinx gets her first triple kill yeah because it wipes out a lot of first of all just the basic infrastructure I think a couple of Silco's goons take a dive so that's how Savika loses the island first I'll let me talk about Savika real quick she is seemingly a large figure in just the Undercity's crime hierarchy. And she's a tall buff lady who likes to punch stuff, and I am all about that. Um, and she ends up, like, getting her arm vaporized. Like, that's how powerful this um, unstable hex tech is, is that you literally see it just vaporize in front of our eyes because she pushes Silco out of the way. And it causes a lot of, like I said, infrastructure um, damage to the building. And Milo and Clagger, the, they don't make it out. Um, some kind of, uh, if I remember the scene correctly, some kind of uh, debris essentially headshots Clagger. And Milo gets impaled through the chest with a pipe. And he's pinned to the wall, and as he, you know, the poor kid is clutching at the pipe and looks up right as uh, concrete from the building uh, comes down and crushes him. So, like, and Vi is pinned under, she's just watching this, she can't stop it. Like, and, you know, the bad guys have survived, and Vi is still in deep shit. And Vander yeah. does the ultimate dad shit. Yeah. knocking back some shimmer and turning into a shimmer hulk himself to protect Vi. Yep. <clears throat> he kills Deckard, who was just then beating the absolute shit out of Vi, uh, and then saves her before dying himself. And then Powder... And his, his dying words take care of Powder. Yeah. Yeah. I, 
Oh. I was so glad you inserted that. Oh my god. Because powder comes out. And she is over the moon. She's good. Because (laughs) she's like, Vi, it worked. And I did it. The monkey bomb worked. And Vi is in, she's infuriated immediately because she just lost pretty much her entire family in front of her in front of her eyes, and um, it it slowly starts to dawn on Pat. She sees she sees Vander's mutated dead body, and it slowly sinks in what exactly she has inadvertently done, and she breaks down saying, "I just wanted to help," and Vi's like, "I fucking don't stay home." And then we have the moment. Vi gives Powder a fucking gnarly right cross across the chin. And like, just leaves her there in the burning rubble. Just slaps the shit out of her. Grabs Powder's face up close to it and says, Milo was right. You are a jinx. And like just... This is where my first big praise of the animation comes in because the look on Powder's face. This is her worst realized. And you see it in her eyes. And Vi pulls her hand back and, you know, Vi is a brawler, so she wears um, boxing tape around her hands and wrists. So she looks down at her hand. On the tape, she can see Powder's blood because she slapped Powder so hard, it was bleed. And Vi realizes what she has done. And she staggers because she knows she needs to step away to calm down for a minute. And now I am a young girl who is nine years older than I am. So, like, I really identify a lot with their relationship. And looking back moments growing up, there were definitely did some dumb shit. And my brother had to walk away for a minute. And you're going to get left behind because when you're the younger sibling especially with a sizable age gap you really look to your sibling for, for everything for all your social cues like everything like see this is this is kind of perfect because i'm actually the eldest sibling and my brother is eight years younger than me oh that's great so you can even attest to the fact uh, that sometimes you calm down for a second see and there was also a time where i lost my shit and because we're brothers, of course we fought a few times, but I I I went a little too hard when we were the one time when we were younger, and I re- I regret the fuck out of it, I really do. But oh, I got, it was a I moment got, where I got shoved around, brother, plenty. So like... yeah, see, see me me and my brother threw hands a few times. <laughs> see, Neil, my brother, my brother did that to me once, and then I got him back. You know, brief side note, if you will allow me a personal story, it's. Very quick. Um, my dad my dad was a military man. And so we accumulated a bit of, you know, just military surplus. And you know those gigantic two and a half foot mag light flashlights? Yes. My dad had one of those. Edison was giving me a hard time, like punching my arm, you know, doing big brother shit. So I grabbed the mag light um, and I hit my brother in that little space um you know if you unfold your arm the little divot where your elbow is i hit him there three times i am 30 years old there is 39 his arm still moves a little weird <laughs> and you know my brother he he's an industrial elder so he's like 
building. I don't understand all of what he does. I just know it's fire and stuff. And like <laughs> every so often, like at family holiday, when the story inevitably comes up, because my parents thought it was hilarious. Because if there was no blood, rightfully so. A lot of people <laughs> died just now. Um, and also, my my thing, another thing that my my problem with this scene was is as an older sibling, I feel like. And this is retrospectively after my own reactions, similar to this, of course. I think Vi fucked up big time, but I also think Vi thinks she fucked up big time. <laughs> uh, and then we see Vi realizing, you know, she's trying to come back to Powder, but before she can get there, and Marcus starts beating the shit out of Vi, who's already pretty fucked up. Uh, and Silco comes in, embraces Jinx, and tells her, we'll show them all. Because, that's the end of Act 1. <laughs> because, you know, poor Jinx thinks that she's been completely abandoned because she'd been begging Vi not to be here. And, you know, Vi was sitting, honestly, I'd say no more than 20 feet away. Like, she just sat down in an alley. And she looks over and sees Silco and his goons just kind of standing over power. Powder and Silco has a knife and she's like, shit and you know like travis said she's grievously injured at this point and she's trying to stagger over there and marcus you know slips up behind her and fucking like you know does the chloroform thing and you know he's like look if they see you they'll kill you and i can understand because the deal did not go as he thought and his brilliant idea to save by life <laughs> <laughs> Was discovered solitary for five years. I fuck Marcus. Okay. <laughs> See, I was watching uh, several video analyses on YouTube prior to this episode, and somebody pointed something out, and so I went back and I watched some of their interactions, and I think it's it's spot on that Marcus is the antithesis of Caitlin because they both have moments where they're speaking. That um, because uh, I believe it's in Act Two, Marcus is speaking to Silco because he's still on payroll, uh, saying like, "Look, I can fix this. I can make this go away." And later on, Caitlin has a similar moment with Vi, where she's like, "I can still, still fix this." And so we see them, you know, diverging. So uh, somebody pointed out that Marcus is hurt in full twin, and I thought that really. Uh... Oh, okay. Do you want to take Act 2? Sure. Okay. Act 2 picks up about five years later. And um, we open with uh, the fact that in these past several years, Hextech has completely taken off. They've perfected the technology. Um, they built uh, what's called the Hexgate, which pretty much can launch a ship halfway across the continent instantaneously. And it has turned Piltover into global shipping lane. Jace is like a multi-gajillionaire. The Kiermans of course forgave him for just that tiny little indiscretion because he was one of their house's protégés. So, you know, the Kiermans are clearly patrons of academic. So, they give you money, you do cool stuff, they get the same. And that, you know, Jace has essentially paid them back tenfold at this point. And that's where we open with Progress Day, which is, you know, the big founding holiday, I think like 4th of July or whatever. 
and he's set to give a big speech. And Heimerdinger told Jace that he wants Jace to give the fancy speech that Heimerdinger usually does. And um, I was never big on Heimerdinger in League, but let me tell you, my arcane, I fucking hate him. Like, really? He, because of the structure of the show. His leadership, because he is, he is a yodel. And yodels are essentially in spirits that, you know, take whatever shapes they want. Y- yordle. Yordle, excuse me. And um, he has more or less been in charge of Piltover since its founding. And look at where the city got under his leadership, because he's the head of the council. And he's more concerned with science and innovation as opposed to the fact that he has more or less completely responsible for creating an entire underclass that is, you know, that is completely marginalized. It's poor. They dump all of their industrial waste there. Like, the very water is toxic. Like, so the water that, you know, they eat, uh, that, you know, they use to cook and clean and bathe with is just fucking poison. And Heimerdinger has let all of this happen because of his inaction. Like, how do you fuck up this hard for centuries? And so that's why I don't like Heimerdinger in the show. Is that shit has fallen apart and as the head of the council for God knows how long, I think that puts him in a place to take a decent chunk of the ball. Oh, yeah, no, he's absolutely to blame. I just, we'll get there when we get to Act 3. I'll make that point then. And I think that's setting us up on kind of a Heimerdinger having to learn how to face reality moment. Mm Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, so Jason's in the Kierman tent, you know, they're doing the whole, this is our most famous protege, visionary behind the text, etc. And there we are introduced to uh, Caitlin Kierman who is like, you know, Jason by and Jason or not, one of the playable characters in League, uh, in League and Runeterra. And Caitlin briefly appears in Act 1 as a side character. Um, when Vi and company are robbing Jason's apartment, she and Jason are on the other side of the door because they're getting back from doing whatever. And um, we see her later on after the council has talked to her that Jason and Caitlin are actually quite close. There's a significant age difference between them and they form kind of like a really cute brother-sister relationship. And, you know, we see even in the beginning of Act 2 where Caitlin has become an enforcer because she wants to, you know, she wants to help people. She wants to see the real world. And Jace, you know, um, interrupts the fancy conversation that they're having in the tent to sneak behind Caitlin and flick the back hat. Like, that is some Pete big brother shit that I'm sure Travis can attest to that. Oh, definitely. And, you know, so she rolls around and puts him in, like, an arm block, and she's like, that's what you get, bitch. And, uh, you know, they have, you know, sibling banter for a few minutes. And, um, uh, Caitlin has a moment where she talks about the fact that um, she doesn't want to know how many strings her mother had to pull to get her stationed outside of the family tent as opposed to dealing you know with the public or even working on other cases that she has to stand there and just kind of do 
something when she's out of harm's way. Because Caitlin's parents do not approve of her being an enforcer because it's dangerous. And beneath her station, as it were. And so we get all of that. We get through the speech. And um, we are at a point where we go up onto the airship next to the hex gate where we are first introduced to Jinx because the production of Shimmer has expanded since Act 1 because Vander is dead, Silco has completely taken over, and Vi is behind bars. And, um, and I, I mentioned Vi being behind bars because there is really no resistance to Silco. Like, people try, but he has the money, he has the muscle, he has Shimmer. And um, well, there, there's, there's very little resistance in, in the, yeah. the, the. Oh, sorry. No, no, no. You're fine. I completely spaced the firelights for some reason. Yeah, but, the firelights, because they're they're doing a job while he's doing the speech, coming yeah. out of the hex gate where they're they're smuggling. I think it was it was just a, a whole shimmer shipment. Oh yeah, it was wasn't just, it? It was just barrels of shimmer. They're trying to get it. It was out. just. They're trying to ship it out of Piltover. All right out of, you know, Piltover and on, so they can get, you know, like, Demacia, Noxus, Ionia, Bilbar, all hooked on all, all hooked on it. Oh, sweet Jesus, Travis, I just had a thought. What's that? Noxus with Shimmer. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> Ionia is fucked. Uh, that would, that would, oh, man, I'm trying to think of, like, what Noxian character? Swain. Swain. Swain? You would, would weaponize the shit out of that. I'm not saying you're wrong. <laughs> For, um, you know, Strictly League fans, um, you obviously know Noxus because that is where Mel and her family are from. But it is a um, very warlike society. They are all about war. So. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, that's all they do. Oh yeah. <clears throat> and Silco's goons, you know, Savika and Alpine, um, are trying to guard the shipment where we get some like dope-ass people on hoverboards busting in and just fucking shit up and these are the firelights, which are the understaffed and underfunded would-be resistance of Silco's rule. That you know, they're just trying to provide a safe place for, you know, people to grow up without fear in Zon. You know, I I would even argue that the Firelights are probably the foundation of what will become Zon post-Silco. Anyway, again, more conjecture on my part. And there's an epic fight scene that breaks out, and this is where we see James for the first time. And she kind of dukes it out with some of the Firelights and Echo, who be don't know is Echo yet. It, it's a whole big reveal. Um, they end up having to fail because you know, their time is up. The containment methods they use have a time limit. And Jinx, because she is crazy, completely loses it and just kind of spins around shooting shit. Like she even shoots one of her own comrades, if you will. And she ends up tangling with one of the firelights, and that firelight gets their mask ripped off. And it is a character, you know, a red shirt, if you will pardon the Star Trek reference, who looks startlingly like Vi, or at least Vi as Jinx remembers her. 
I saw somebody pointing this out and it hit me. Like it hurt all over again because she doesn't know what Vi looks like as an adult. So when she sees this teenager who has pink hair like her sister, that's what she sees Vi as. And I'm like, oh God, this is her hustle. And, you know, she freezes because she has been mentally shattered by what she thinks is by abandoning her. And Marcus, in a weird attempt to save Vi's life, has told everyone that she is dead. So James is convinced, hell, Silco's convinced Vi is dead because nobody knows she's been stuffed away in prison for a jillion years. And so all of this goes down. They bail, and Caitlin sneaks off so she can go do actual police work. And if you are a League fan, you know that at some point, Caitlin does become the sheriff of Piltover. Uncomfortable, you know, we got to point this out real quick. Arcane and League are actually two different universes. You could present Arcane as kind of a maybe prequel to League, but there are strong deviations. So it's similar, but not, you know? Are you sure? I, heard, I from, from my understanding, Arcane is canon. See, I've heard, I've heard the other way that Arcane is canon. Well, it may or may not be. <laughs> Do the Google. I need to know. <laughs> I think the big thing is, is also um, what people point out is that um, Caitlin is biracial in Arcane. Because Caitlin's voice actress um, is an Asian actress. And um, Caitlin was, um, I don't want to say retconned, like, but anyway, Caitlin is voiced by the incredibly talented Katie Leung, who um, you might recognize her from her work in Harry Potter. She was so I'm triply uncomfortable saying she played Cho Chang in Harry Potter. And just not somebody I would expect to do amazing voice work, but she did. Um, so while Travis tries to figure out where Arcane sits in the timeline. Um, okay, Caitlin, so I, I, I literally just Googled, is Arcane canon? Because why not? Uh, so the first like three articles I find and then one board says yes and then one article is like nope and then the next article after that is like nope it, it, it's weird it's in waves here so I'm going to say prequel but I'm using a lot of air quotes I'm gonna read <clears throat> this this quote here where it's says, Arcane is canon in the Runeterra universe, but it does revise League of Legends lore. While the Runeterra universe has been developed via League of Legends for over a decade, fans got a closer look into the origin stories of some of its oldest characters for the first time. As I know, Pretty uh, fair. the biggest deviation being that in the original, in their original releases, um, it was not clear that Vi and Jinx were sisters. At all. Oh yeah, like the confirmation that they are sisters came a little later, because Jinx was obsessed with Vi, even in the League stuff, and nobody really knew why, and it became a very popular fan 
theory that they were sisters. And Riot eventually went, yeah, no, they're totally sisters. Like, so. And Arcane is really the only establishing we have for their relationship. Like, as sisters. So. But, uh, hell, I even think Jinx's name being Powder is uh, an invention of Arcane, because we really don't know much about the character aside from what Legends of Runeterra tells us. And Legends of Runeterra has leaned a bit into Arcane, which, you know, perfectly understandable. But, um, so I'm going to use prequel with some loose air quotes just for the sake of conversation. But a lot of people try to point to Caitlyn because in, in the game, Caitlyn does not appear to be agent. Um, but in Arcane, she is biracial as a nod to her voice actress, which I actually thought was a really sweet addition. But anyway, um, Caitlin busts onto the airship after everything is said and done to try and do actual police work. But Marcus, being a corrupt douchebag that he is, knows exactly what's been going on. So Caitlin finds the goon that Jinx accidentally shot purposely. Who the fuck knows what that girl? And, you know, Caitlin's like, look, tell me what happened here. I can make sure you are protected. Like, let me, you know, help me help you kind of a thing. Marcus busts in, you know, basically chastises her. Like, I know you're used to getting what you want, but rabble, rabble, rabble. And then he immediately goes, take this particular goon to Stillwater right away. Which is, I think the easiest way to describe it is fucking Arkham. Like, it's just Arkham Asylum. League of Legends Arkham. Because, I mean, you know, it's on, like, an island, and it's super shitty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that checks out. And Caitlin gets stuck on the night shift as punishment for sneaking off to try and, like, like you know, be a police officer. And, you know, we fast forward to this night shift where we see Jinx's first big move. That she has gotten in a lot of trouble for essentially fucking up the raid on the airship uh, fucking up the, uh, the drug deal leadership because she was just there to protect the cargo and nothing else but she went wrong and this is where we get our first look of seeing how the relationship between Silco and Jinx has evolved he is very much her father like you know Sadika is going fucking crazy like you need to do something about her and Silco's like it's fine you know she's just a precocious little scamp and like you know, all that money on the ship it was nothing <laughs> and and like if you if you watch this he actually lets her off very she gets a very soft too. and you know she expresses the fact that you know she got spooked because the one girl looked like her sister and still goes like honey she dead remember and somebody uh, somebody pointed this out because that I know um, I saw that um, Silco has an ashtray and mud on his desk, and it looks like uh, Jinx has made them because she's like drawn on them and whatnot. So he's like the dad figure who like uses the you know who wears the macaroni necklaces you make in second grade. Yep. Now, I just want to preface this before we go any further to talking about Silco and Jinx. I think Silco is the perfect example of that a loving parent isn't always a good one. 
Like, Silco loves James very deeply. Like, through and through, she is his daughter. But he has also radicalized her and turned her into a weapon for his own agenda. Kind of a thing, you know? Oh, absolutely. Like, so. In a weird, like, uh, dare I say Thanos Nebula kind of thing, but less abuse, a lot less abuse. Yeah. And I think this kind of sets Jinx further up as the antithesis to buy, because Jinx is clearly Silco's protege. Like, he would want Jinx to probably take over his empire upon his death, kind of thing, much in the same way that Vi was to Vander. So I think it's just, you know, really interesting subtle touches like this that out of depth. But um, Jinx feels the need to prove herself again after this because, you know, she's frustrated with herself and she doesn't like it when people are angry with her, particularly what she views as, you know, parental figures. So Caitlin's on the night shift and she's getting, you know, poked at by some of the other officers because they're like, hi, you're rich and fancy. Why are you here? And like, that just seems dumb, whatever. And Caitlin catches view of fire. And so they go running over to fire. And um, they hear a child's voice. And so some of the enforcers go in to try and save the child. And surprise, surprise, it's a bunch of explosives. And Jinx has essentially bombed a building so she can sneak off and steal the fancy stabilized Hextech crystal that um, Jason and Victor have just finished working on. Like, yeah, the little crystals from the beginning, they've stabilized them. They're completely safe now. And Jinx is she's able to steal it. And this is the first time Caitlin gets exploded by Jinx. And how things like 14 more times. Yep. <laughs> and because I believe it was six enforcers died in Jinx's explosion. <laughs> yeah, it was six. Now she's in a lot of trouble because, you know. It's difficult. Like, sure, the sheriff might be on your payroll, but six officers dying in like a very public bombing—you can't make that go away, you know. And so Silco's kind of like he's actually raising his voice. He's like, "What the fuck were you thinking?" And she pulls out Crystal, and she's like, "I got this, this." And he went, "Oh, oh, never mind. You are not in trouble." And Marcus is starting to lose his shit because he can't just make this go away. The council is going to want answers, especially because Caitlin was injured in the explosion. And Caitlin, you know, Caitlin's mother is still on the council, so of course, of course, she is going to push the council to investigate this. Like, I saw, I've seen, I've seen one argument that Caitlin essentially rather inadvertently drives the entire show. That, you know, she's probably banged up when the apartment explodes in the first act. Um, the investigation with this explosion is what causes Caitlin to do what she does. And it kind of spirals out from there. So I just think it's really funny. But um, Caitlin has been investigating the crime syndicate in the Undersafe for a while. And as she's recuperating from her injuries, um, we see what's been going on behind the scenes that Mel wants to take Hextech and wants to take Hextech 
in a new direction. And she wants to take Pilk over into a new direction. So she pushes to get Jinx on counsel because Jinx, <laughs> the biggest uh, departure from Jinx's character between League and Arcane is that Jinx is actually very egotistical and honestly kind of rude at League. But they've softened his character for and after the attack and the crystal being stolen, Jace, um, as the head of Hextech Industries, or whatever you want to call it, recommends to the council that they suspend all Hextech operations while they try to figure out what the hell happened. And the council's like, yeah, no, we can't do that because we don't grow because we're rich and evil. And Mel's kind of like, okay, but what if like we put you on the council and you can investigate this? I can have power, but basically something you have in pocket. Heimerdinger's like, wait, what? She's like, Heimerdinger, why don't you leave the council so we can put him on instead? And he's like, wait, what? Like, oh, and then the whole council's like, yes, follow the money. Follow like, the money. <laughs> so Heimerdinger, who has been on the council for generations, is now off the council, and Jace has taken seat. And this kind of starts Heimerdinger's, where that picks up more in three. So um, Jace goes to speak with Caitlin, who is recuperating from injuries. And, um, you know, she has this giant map on the floor. And this is not a small map, but it's the entire city. She's got, like, a red yarn conspiracy stuff. She has been investigating the criminal syndicate in the Undercity for God knows how long. Because she knows something deeper is going on, and that something is being covered up by someone. She just can't make that last action and jace goes in to talk to her and she you know very excitedly grabs his arm and she's explaining the whole thing and he wants caitlin to be on his staff and she looks at it goes i would be sitting behind a desk for the rest of my life no thank you i already have a job and jace is like yeah no you don't and turns out that caitlin's parents had called marcus and said hey my daughter does not want me to get killed this, ironically, is the first of Caitlyn's many crimes that she commits throughout the show. Because Caitlyn is now extra-pissed and has, you know, felt rejected even by Jace. So she, at this point, is impersonating an officer, goes to Stillwater, because she figures that she wants to go talk to the criminal that she found on the airship. She gets to Stillwater and um, figures out that that criminal has gotten his ass beat like his jaw has broken and she's like um who did this and we're and they're like the butch lesbian on the bottom floor so she goes to talk and we get probably the coolest introduction where you just see fists hitting a wall inside of a prison cell and caitlin turns and you know you see this prisoner and they just look over her shoulder and you see the vi tattoo and all Vice says is, who the hell are you? And the episode ends. I think that is just fucking brilliant. Also, I loved that her prisoner number is 516. Because in Roman numerals, that 5, it spells Vi. Yep. It's, it's so dumb, I love it. And if you may not know, Vi is voiced by Haley fucking Steinfeld. <laughs> I can't with that. But um, this is our big introduction to 
actually a sidebar travis do you almost think this should be a yeah because it's the episodes are dense yeah because i mean you know we just got to caitlin busting straight up i was thinking that we were doing act one i was like fuck i'm taking forever (laughs) because um you know it's after five my time and um this is about when Victor Ray is coming over, and I'm worried about her being delayed and that's her fever today again. Right, right, right. Um, yeah, we can definitely do this in two parts. I have no problem with that. Okay. So, um, I might just go ahead and do kind of like an outro. Like, we get to buy and then do part two kind of thing. I think getting to buy, because that's where the story shifts, drastically. Yeah. And that'll give me a chance to, like, kind of, like, finish rewatching the series so we can't condense the synopsis a little bit. At least, at least for us, too. And that might give me a chance to figure my fucking microphone out. <laughs> that, too. So, are, are you cool with that? Yeah, I'm cool with that. Okay. And, you know, James is, like, brilliant at piecing these episodes together. So I just feel bad that he's got so much to cut up, but he's okay. He's got a lot to cut of this one. <laughs> but okay, so um, James, we can pick it up. So Caitlin gets to the prison cell and BC by for the first time. And something I do want to point out is that um, her characterization, and I mean physically. Her physical characterization between the game and the show is very different. Because, you know, Pi is a brawler. And so she's relatively well built in the game, but this one they went no full muscle point. And I could not be more grateful for that. It's just because I like women with large muscles, but I mean, you're not alone. <laughs> <laughs> If you are a fan of women with muscles punching things, working is definitely for you. But, I mean, due to some extenuating circumstances, Travis, I think this might have to be a two-parter. Yeah. Um, you know, there was a little bit of tech trouble. Um, my wife has a touch of a fever, so I just make sure she has an opportunity to lay down. And, you know, we're just most of the way through act two and i think getting to vi where the story starts to shift might be a good place to hold off because we still want to get into a discussion of our favorite characters in the show uh, our favorite ships in the show because i have a lot to say about that because i always do um and our expectations and what we would like to see in season two so this episode you got a bit of you know Explore history, you know, a bit of uh, a look at League, Runeterra, just kind of the way everything's connected. So hopefully you enjoyed this, and please look forward to Act 2. <laughs> we should call it Act 2. Um, look forward to the second part coming soon. I appreciate Travis being willing to split this up with me. Yay! So, so <laughs> So, Travis, uh, what are your clothing, your clothing thoughts right now? Your clo- closing thoughts. 
Uh, well, I, I I literally can't contain this, so I'm just gonna say it now. A season two, well, a big season two hope is kind, of, and it's kind of a deep one. Is I I need there to be like a nice dichotomy with like Camille and Urgot as like results oh. of how season one went. God, Urgot. Yeah. Also, the un- uh, go for it. Finish it. Oh no, I was saying well it's cause Camille is mostly Hextech and mm-hmm. then Ergot is mostly Chemtech. So they're uh, how do I put this? They're they're the opposites but also the same. They mirror each other. Yeah. Big time. Oh god, I'd love to see that. I would fucking love to see that. And it could be a nice nod because in one of the cinematic trailers, it's Kate Vibers Ergot. Ooh, it's it's the big warriors trailer, and oh yeah, there's a lot of mad dragons, like a lot. I believe "Enemy" is now the second song that has been originally um uh, done for League of Legends, if you will, because um they do the opening song for League of Legends called "Enemy." It's actually. But the Imagine Dragon song Warriors was also written for one of the cinematic trailers for um, later on. So, just, you know, I, I don't know how I feel about Imagine Dragons, but those two songs are particularly catchy. But, um, my closing statement is um, I apologize if you are not a fan of Caitlin and Bonnie. I am so. Buckle up for the next episode. Apologies. And uh, since today's here, and granted, this isn't a comic book episode, but as always, support your local comic shop. You know, we deal a lot with comics and we want to see, you know, um, stories that are far more diverse, really well written, great characters. And the only way to actually get that is to support the books that are doing that. So find your local comic book shop. Uh, if you've got the money, look into at least pre-ordering a couple books. So let's move forward with that. And I think that about wraps it up for us. Good. Happy 420 again, everybody. <laughs> so um, we'll see you next time.